This is the WMSC interview of Satan and Skyclad guitarist Steve Ramsey by Nick Perkel. Now, Steve, what is your favorite memory from when Court in the Act came out? Um, at the time, it, it was really exciting. Uh, I mean, when, when we recorded the album, I was only 18 years old. You know, we were very young. And uh, we just signed this deal with uh, Roadrunner Records, who'd seen us at uh, a show that we played in Holland. And basically, at the time, uh, we weren't having much success in the UK. And, but we tended to be going over to uh, Holland a lot, especially Eindhoven and the Dynamo Club, the famous, infamous Dynamo Club, and doing a lot of shows over there. And that's where the, the real interest uh, became apparent in the band, you know. And uh, so I remember that the main thing I remember about that era is those, or those gigs that we did at the Dynamo Festival, uh, the Dynamo Club, before it became the big festival. You changed the name of your band to Blind Fury from 1984 to 85. What was the catalyst that made you choose this decision? Um, a couple of things, really. Uh, we changed vocalist and uh, Lou, Lou Taylor, the new vocalist, he didn't uh, want to be in a band called Satan. And at the time, uh, thing, uh, music like death metal and black metal was becoming more prevalent and uh, we were being associated with that, and our music was really nothing to do with that. And it just seemed... Um, we we had a feeling when when the Court in the Act was released, it, it didn't come out to any great uh, blazing glory. Um, in the two main magazines that the, in the countries that we were in at the time, like in the UK, Kerrang! was the biggest magazine, and they gave us a very poor review of Court in the Act. And um, Oddshock magazine in Holland gave us a very sort of indifferent review of Court in the Act. And basically, that made us feel like we were doing something wrong, you know. And uh, that's how the change of singer and the name change and, and even the style of the music we were playing changed as well. On your album, Suspended Sentence, you had a song called Suicidal Justice. Can you explain the meaning of justice in that? Um, it's it's very difficult to explain that. Uh, Mick Jackson wrote the lyrics, and the lyrics are basically about um, the evil of politicians. You know, like uh, politicians wanting to, to to govern and rule everybody and tell everyone what to do. Um, as far as the title goes, I, I suppose you really need to ask him where what he means by suicidal justice. It it sounds like me like what he what he's saying is like uh, it's it's. The only way out is suicide, to get away from these people that are controlling you, you know. So some something to do with that, I think. What were some of like the more um, high-profile political situations that were going on, like in the UK at that point in time? Well, we, we all come from uh, the Thatcher era, you know, and... Uh, it was where the, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer, you know. Like, Thatcher was very uh, in, in for, make, for business and making people rich. And, uh, and at our level, at our working class, in our working class background, that meant uh, the poor people were suffering, you know. Like, um, we come from uh, Newcastle, which is in the north of England, and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of people relied on uh, mining, uh, coal mining to make a living and to get by the working class and uh, she closed all the pits down and 
people out of work up here and uh, we had that sort of resentment to politicians and that sort of it was a catalyst for a lot of the lyrics that we wrote as well, you know. You also used the name Pariah from 88 to 89. Were you feeling like outcasts during this time period? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely um, musically because uh, we didn't seem to fit in. We know it seemed to be whatever we did didn't fit in. Uh, it, it, uh, we were different to everyone else and we felt a little bit like that and, and the, when the word just seemed to suit exactly what we were musically. <laughs> Can you explain your desire to make folk metal in Skyclad after the proto-thrash like music you were making in Satan? Um, it came about with just uh, getting together with Martin Walker, the, the, the vocalist, you know. We got together, um, at the time, Pariah had just split up, and uh, he had left uh, Sabbath, the, the the thrash band, Sabbath, the English band, and um, I, I had done some uh, tour managing for them in the UK, and I got to know the guys, and uh, when Martin, Martin was up here, he had a, a girlfriend up here that he had a child with, and he was going through a bit of a uh, down period in his life, you know. And I said to him, look, let's get together. And I'll, if you've got some ideas, lyrically, I can uh, write some music. And through listening to w what he was trying to say in his music, and, and we came up with that style of music to match the lyrics, really. You know, And that's how all the paganism and all that came to, to fruition in the band. But it, it seemed like it needed to be sound like folk music, you know, and that's uh, how we introduced the violin and on one track on the first album. It was basically a thrash album with one folk metal song on it. And uh, the other bits of the violin were just because we'd hired a guy in the studio to stick a few bits down, you know. And uh, the song was popular and then that sort of uh, spurred us on to do more of that style. Did you feel like any sort of um, influence carried over in any of like the later Bathory albums? Um, I think I think we influenced a lot of people on, on uh, with Skyglad, you know, especially by um, the 2000s. There's just a lot of folk metal bands, and we we started to get uh, towards the late 90s. We started having bands uh, supporting us on tour. It had like an identical girl violin player and shit like that. It was very strange. And um, we realized that a lot of people had been influenced by what we were doing, you know, and then, of course, musically, it just exploded and there's a big folk metal scene now. For the writing of life, for the writing of life Sentence, were most of the tracks written recently or were there a lot of parts of the songs that were lying around for quite some time? Um, it was all written from scratch. There was nothing uh, used from the past. We didn't tend to write anything that we didn't use. So we only wrote what we used. So there wasn't any like, oh, we've got some spare tracks from that album or this album. And we, all, we only ever wrote what we needed to do, you know. So it was from scratch. But we decided from day one when we started writing it that it needed to be sort of follow-on from Court and the Act. And we had to sort of kind of put our heads back to where we were back then, you know, when we were 20-year-old and what we were listening to and what we were influenced by and um, try not to put, like, uh, a lot of odd time in the music and, and little 
little things like that that we may do now, you know, to make it sound like it would be a continuation, and that's 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 what we aim to do. Life Sentence was released last year. Can you tell me what songs you enjoyed the most writing for it? Um, it it's a strange thing because uh, a couple of the songs um, that I was involved in writing, it was gets involved with them and then they change, you know. And uh, for me, uh, the idea that I had for um, Siege Mentality, um, the part that I had, the Russ took and then uh, added to didn't sound like the song came out you know it was just great and it was really for me it was great to have someone to be working with someone like Russ again who really understands what I do and uh, can can add to to the music that I, that I can come up with as well you know and change it for the better and, and put fresh ideas in and stuff because I'm so used to with Skylight sort of writing it all myself kind of thing, you know. So yeah, particularly that song came out great. I was I was really happy with that one. Now, please tell me about the writing of the song Incantations. Like the beginning has a really dark and haunting tone to it. Yeah, it's um it it started off with uh, Russ Russ came up with um. The, this, the words in his head uh, when we're coming home from Keep It True, the festival, that sort of kicked the whole thing off. And uh, on the plane on the way home, uh, the, the line spells from the Book of the Dead came into his head. And uh, so he had this idea, and then what am I going to do with it, you know? And then he didn't have any music for the idea, and uh, I'd send him some, some riffs and ideas. And he took one of the riffs, and that's the the, the intro riff, you know, and the, the main riff in the song. And um, he just sort of tarted it up a little bit, and uh, and then it all came about. He he liked the Arabic tone; it fit perfectly with it. And then uh, he did a little bit of research on the Book of the Dead, and it turned out that uh, it was an Egyptian book containing the incantations that must be recited at the king's burial to bestow life in the hereafter. You know, and that's uh, he took that idea with my music and put it together. You know, and that's how that song came about. And please share what the song "Personal Demons" means to you when you hear it now. Um, it's it's a strange one, "Personal Demons," because it was one of my favourites when we did it uh, when we were rehearsing it. I love, I love that that style of music, you know. And uh, it's a it's a riff that Russ came up with, and uh, he also wrote the lyrics. And it started off when, when we first were playing it, it was called uh, Drive-In Confession. And it was based on like a, a dying millionaire who suddenly develops religious faith. You know, as, he, as, as he's dying, he takes on religion to sort of try and save him or whatever. And um, it was inspired by the line in uh, the book of Matthew uh, that says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the whole song is based, is about that idea, you know, that uh, trying to receive religious, uh, taking on religion in the hope that that will help you when you move on in the afterlife, you know, the kind of thing. And then the title was changed because personal demons kept cropping up in the, in the repeat, repeatedly during the song. 
and it sounds more like a Satan song called Prison of Demons than a driving confession. <laughs> As a closing word on life sentences recording sessions, what do you feel like musicians of today should realize when getting ready for pre-production and post-production time in the studio? Um, for us, for that album, it was all about... Uh, I think it's very easy nowadays to, to to write all your material in at home in your bedroom or in your spare room or whatever you know using drum machines and uh, all equipment. It's it's easy. I mean, I actually do that with SkyCloud, and everyone gets a finished song, and then then we rehearse it a bit, and then we go in the studio. With um, Tin, it was a very different way. It was all it was all done in rehearsal. So when when we came to the studio, so the, the pre-production was a, a lot of rehearsing, and when it came to going in the studio, it, it took like like one or two takes to put these songs down, you know, because we knew them so well and we we played them so well together. And I think that for for post-production, that's the the most uh, pre-production, that's the most important thing, is doing doing the work beforehand instead of thinking that you're going to go in the studio and create this uh, gem. Without you know, like on the spur of the moment or whatever, or you can fix it in the studio. The whole album uh, was played virtually live, you know, so it's that's the way we put it together. Um, post-production, it's um, by that do you mean uh, the the mixing or? Yeah, like um, and also possibly overdubs if you're interested in that type of thing as well. Yeah. Well, we tend we tended to do not many overdubs, but there are there are some there. You know, it's, uh, we're not to sort of. We, we always made a point that we wouldn't put too much stuff down on the songs. It was a thing that we did all through the 80s that um, we wouldn't be able to perform live. You know, we're not we're not ones for for doing a lot of um, extra material on. And then when you try to perform the song live, it doesn't really sound like the song. It's generally it's generally just the way it's going to be when we perform it, you know. Obviously, there's some little bits of extra backing vocals and stuff on that we can't do, but uh, the songs in general are, are just playable as you hear them on the album. Um, the most important thing for us uh, that we never seemed to manage in the 80s was to get to, to have someone that, that understood how we wanted the album to sound. Um, the, the album was recorded in a very small, uh, cheap studio uh, in Newcastle, and it's where the band rehearse, and it's just above the rehearsal room. And, it's, and uh, we put the backing tracks down there. It was a very relaxed atmosphere, not not like going to a big studio or anything where where it's costing money and, and you know time's really important. And it was mixed by Dario Mollo, who worked on the last two Skylight albums. And he's just he's he's just one of those guys that knows where the band's coming from. He's he's a guitarist himself, and he's a songwriter, you know. And and he can hear what he knows what you want to sound like, and he, he managed to do that in the last two Skylar albums, which which I'm the most happy with out of all the ones we've ever done, like production-wise. And uh, I recommended that we did that for Satan, and we were very, very happy with the results, you know, he captured the whole essence of what the band are about, you know, the, that frenetic energy that you can hear on the album of people performing music they love, you know, and that's, that's, that was very important to us, to, to, to find someone that could uh, produce that. Any final words 
Uh, just the fact that we, we can't wait to come over to the States and play some shows, you know. We never got a chance to do that all the way through the 80s, and I haven't had the chance to do that all the way through the 90s and 2000s with Skyclad. So we're really happy. We, we played in Montreal last year, and those guys came up from New York and uh, all, all over down the East Coast. And um, we're just so happy to be going back now and actually doing some shows. Thanks a lot. This has been the WMSC interview of Satan and Skyclad guitarist Steve Ramsey by Nick Perkel.